We're in the midst of a verse-by-verse study through the book of James entitled, How Do I? And throughout this practical epistle, James identifies 12 distinguishing marks of a mature, complete, finished, perfect Christ follower. Two Sundays ago, we began this series of lessons by giving an overview of the entire book and introducing these 12 characteristics of maturity by answering the question, how do I handle life with maturity? Last Sunday morning, we looked at the first of these 12 marks of maturity from James 1 verses 2 through 12 by answering the question, how do I profit from my problems? This morning, we're going to zero in now on the second mark from James 1 verses 13 through 18 as we answer the question, how do I win against temptation? Follow along in your Bible as I read today's text. James chapter 1, we pick it up with verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created. Okay, we did this last Sunday, but I want to do it again today. Please raise your hand if you have ever been tempted in any way at any time. Raise your hand. Come on, let me see them. Yeah, every hand ought to be up, right? Some of us going like this, two hands. I mean, once again, the point is very, very clear. James is addressing, once again, an area of our everyday lives where we all struggle. We have all been tempted. Temptation is a very real concern for each and every one of us. Temptation is something that each of us has experienced firsthand. Someone sarcastically said, I can say no to anything and everything except temptation. Here in James 1, verses 13 through 18, James answers the difficult question, how do I win against temptation? Now basically, as we work our way through these verses together, I believe we can summarize James' practical instruction under these five R words today. The first word is the word recognition. The first step toward being able to win against temptation is to be able to recognize Temptation, what it is and what it is not. Now notice verse 13 begins, when tempted. It doesn't begin if tempted. (laughs) It begins when tempted. Temptation is inevitable for all of us. We never get too old (laughs) for temptation. We never get too wise for temptation. We never get too mature for temptation. We never get too spiritual (laughs) for temptation. In fact, I believe the more spiritual we're becoming, the more We actually have to deal with temptation in our daily lives. So how do we recognize temptation then? What does temptation look like? Well, before we understand what temptation is, let's be sure we understand a couple of things that temptation is not. First of all, temptation is not a sin. We need to understand that. Temptation is not 
a sin. Being tempted in and of itself is not a sin. I've had some people come to me and say, oh, I can't believe I had that thought. I've had some men come to me and say, oh, I can't believe I took that lustful look. And I look at them and I go, hello? (laughs) You're human. You're just as human as any of the rest of us. And all of us are tempted. Temptation is not a sin. It is when we give in to that temptation. When we follow the course of that temptation that it becomes sin to us. It's important to understand that you are going to be tempted. Everybody's going to be tempted. And so when temptation comes, I mean, don't feel bad about it. Temptation is a fact of life. You will be tempted, but temptation in and of itself is not a sin. Second, temptation is not from God. It is not from God. Look at verse 13 as a whole. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. So it's critical that we understand that the very nature of God is that He is perfect, He is holy, He is sinless. And the whole idea of temptation, the whole concept of sin is foreign to God's very nature. He cannot even be touched by sin. He doesn't think about evil. He cannot be tempted Himself, nor does He ever tempt anyone, because evil is so foreign to His very character. Now, since this lesson on temptation immediately follows last week's lesson on problems and trials, I think it's important that we understand there's a difference between trials and temptations. And sometimes we get these confused, I believe. Trials, problems, are what God allows to happen. In fact, sometimes He causes them to happen in our lives in order to build us up, to help us grow, Amateur temptations are not ever from God. They originate with the enemy, Satan, who brings them into our lives in order to bring us down, to cause us to sin, to fall. So trials build us up. Temptations bring us down. And Satan has his agenda and he will do anything he can to tempt us and cause us to stumble and fall. He will utterly ruin us if we let him. He wants to devour us, the Scripture says, to destroy us. And so it's vitally different, uh, vitally important that we differentiate between trials and temptations, I believe. And so, okay, temptation then is not a sin and it is not from God. So what is temptation? How can we recognize this? Well, To answer this question more completely, you've got to turn with me in your Bible to 1 John. Would you do that right now? 1 John chapter 2. It's on page 1900 if you're using the Pew Bible. And I want us to take a look at a couple of key verses here so that we can understand the very nature, the character, the essence of temptation. 1 John chapter 2. We pick it up with verse... 15, follow along in your Bible. It says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world... Now, now, stop there for a minute. Just understand, he's about ready to give you the essence of everything that's in the world that will tempt you. Okay? Here it is. Everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world and ultimately from the enemy. 
Now notice those three descriptive phrases there in verse 16. The cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does. I think the message translates these three phrases the clearest for us to understand. Wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important. Here in this single verse, the Apostle John identifies the three all-inclusive areas of temptation. Simply put, all of temptation falls into one of these three categories. First, temptation is wanting your own way. The NIV uses the phrase, the cravings of sinful Man, many other translations use the phrase the lust of the flesh. In its roots, it meant an evil desire for a selfish or a sensual need. Craving something to satisfy our own fleshly, physical appetite. Again, it's, it's wanting your own way. Second, temptation is wanting everything for yourself. Wanting everything for yourself. Literally, in most translations, the lust of the eyes. It's seeing something and grabbing it. It's the evil desire to go after something, to have it for yourself, to hoard it for yourself. It's, it's connected with greed and covetousness. I see that. I want that. I need that. I've got to have that. I deserve that. I'm going to go get that. Again, it's wanting everything for yourself. And third, temptation is wanting to appear important. Literally, in most translations, the boastful pride of life. It's the evil desire for power and position. It's being full of pride and arrogance. It's wanting the praise and the applause of other people. Again, it's wanting to appear important. Now, this is the key. Don't miss this. All of temptation falls into one of these three categories. Wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, or wanting to appear important. Now, just to demonstrate how that's true... I want to explore a couple of the best-known Bible stories about temptation. In fact, turn with me in your Bible to Genesis chapter 3. Would you do that? It's on page 5 if you're using the Pew Bibles, way back at the very beginning of your Bible. Genesis chapter 3. The story of Adam and Eve in the garden. The story of the first sin. This is the story of the fall of humankind. And I want to read this story, and then I want to show you how these temptations that Adam and Eve faced fall into one of these three categories. Genesis chapter 3, we pick it up with verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6 is the key. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now notice from verse 6 that Eve's temptation fell into these three categories that we're talking about. First of all, it says that she saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. That's wanting your own way. The lust of the flesh. Looking at something and saying, yeah, I want that. I want that. It's, it's the gratifying of a selfish 
desire. I gotta taste that. It's your own fleshly appetite. And then it says in verse 6 that it was pleasing to the eye. That's wanting everything for yourself. The lust of the eyes. It's seeing something and wanting to grab it and hoard it for yourself. It's greed. It's covetousness. Why can't I have that? I need that. I want that. I deserve that. I'm going to go get that. And then notice thirdly that it says it was desirable for gaining wisdom. Did you catch that? Earlier, Satan told Eve that when you eat of it, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. That's the temptation of wanting to appear important, the boastful pride of life. It's arrogance. It's wanting power and position. Wow, I could be just like God. See how that works? Now while you're chewing on that, let's take a look at a second story in Luke chapter 4. So turn there in your Bible. It's on page 1598 if you're using the Pew Bible. Luke chapter 4, this is the story of Jesus' temptations. Now, of course, Jesus was tempted throughout His entire lifetime. but And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But this is the temptations right after He was baptized, before He went into His three and a half years of full-time ministry out in the desert. He was tempted. This major period of temptation. Luke chapter 4, pick it up with verse 1. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days He was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during these days, and at the end of them He was hungry. Here's the first temptation. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. See, this is one in your own way. It's the lust of the flesh. It's the satisfaction of a physical, fleshly, carnal desire. Jesus, you have the power to do it. It would be abuse of your power, but you have the power to turn these stones into bread. You could do it just for you. Go on to verse 5. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will be all yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. See, this is wanting everything for yourself. It's the lust of the eyes. It's, It's seeing all these things that He could have. It can be yours, Satan says. I can give it to you if you'll sell yourself out to me. (laughs) It's wanting it and hoarding it for yourself. Down to verse 9. It says, The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They'll lift you up in their hands so that you'll not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Boy, there's a lot we could preach on right there. But see, this is wanting to appear important, the boastful pride of life. What would have happened if Jesus had given in to this temptation to throw himself down from the highest point of the temple? And notice that Satan even quotes Scripture, the sly old deceiving serpent, (laughs) to try to get Jesus tripped up here, that the angels would take care of him. I mean, like Jesus needed to be reminded of that. I mean, if Jesus had given in, everyone in the temple square would have been amazed. Everyone who saw it would have applauded Him. Wow, think of who this must be. Even the angels take care of Him. He would have been famous. Now the point that I'm trying to make in this is that all temptation, 
generally falls into one of these three categories. Wanting your way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important. And if we're going to win against temptation, it's important for us to recognize it for what it is. We need to get a handle on what the temptation looks like. In fact, many times when people come to me and they're struggling with a sin in their life and with temptation, I'll often say, well, let's get to the core of this. Let's, let's talk about where did this temptation originate? What, what is it? Is it? Which one of these three categories does it fall into? Let's understand it because we can't do battle against it unless we understand what it is. Does that make sense? Now having said that, we need to take an inventory of our lives today. Got a homework assignment for you this week. Each one of us needs to get some time alone this week and ask God to help us recognize where temptation is working in our lives. And ask yourself the question, where am I wanting my own way? Where's the lust of the flesh, the cravings of the sinful man tempting me right now in my life? Where am I wanting everything for myself? Where's the lust of the eyes tempting me where I'm, I'm covetous, you know, covetousness and greed? I'm just wanting to grab stuff for myself. And where am I wanting to appear important? Where's the boastful pride of life tempting me right now? Where am I looking for men's applause and approval? You see, if we can identify where these areas are that we are weak, believe me, Satan knows where they are. If we can recognize how specifically Satan is working on each of us in these three areas, we'll have a better chance of saying no when the temptation actually comes. We need to understand Satan's schemes so that we can win against temptation. In fact, read 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11 out loud with me. Would you read it with me? In order that Satan might not outwit us, we are not unaware of his schemes. Yeah, that's where we need to be. Not unaware of his schemes. We need to be in tune with how he tempts us and what temptation looks like. And so the first step toward winning against temptation is recognition. The second key R word is the word responsibility. Now I like the way the contemporary English version translates verses 13 through 15. Look at him up here on the screen. It says, Don't blame God when you're tempted. God cannot be tempted by evil, and He doesn't use evil to tempt others. We are tempted by our own desires that drag us off and trap us. Our desires make us sin, and when sin is finished with us, it leaves us dead. Now, the key phrase here, I think, is we are tempted by our own desires. Or, as the NIV puts it, each one is tempted when by his own evil desire. Simply put, we have no one to blame but ourselves. when we lose the battle against temptation. We must accept full responsibility for our own sin. Don't blame God for it. James is very clear about that. Don't blame Satan for it. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. I'm the one who had the opportunity to say yes or no. Don't blame your parents for it. That seems to be a popular position in recent years among therapists. It's just the way I was raised. You know, my mother and my father, they didn't uh, change my diapers right when I was young. Baloney. Don't bring circumstances for it. I just can't help myself. I'm in this difficult situation. If you understood my position, you would understand why I'm having so much trouble. We live in a society today that's taught us to blame anyone or anything but ourselves. It's always someone or someone else's, something else's fault. Friends, we must quit blaming 
Get out of the blame game. And we must accept responsibility when we give into temptation and it leads to sin. Now notice that James tells us pretty clearly here how we are responsible. He actually, he actually gives us a description of how temptation works. I, I call it the downward spiral of temptation. Notice the four steps in the spiral. It starts with desire. Verse 14 begins, each one is tempted when by his own evil desire. You see, temptation always starts with us. It starts with our desires, the weak points. And again, Satan knows exactly where those weak points are. He has them down. Do you? Then that desire, secondly, leads to deception. Verse 14 continues, He's dragged away and enticed. Dragged away is a hunting term, by the way. It means to be snared in a trap. And enticed is a fishing term. It means to be lured by bait. When a hunter sets a trap, he camouflages it. Duh. When a fisherman puts his line in the water, he doesn't just put a bare hook there. He puts a nice juicy worm on it or some kind of tempting lure. And even so, James just wants us to understand that temptation is Satan's deception. Desire leads to deception. Third, deception leads to disobedience. Verse 15 begins, Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. First, Satan gets our attention with our desires. Then Satan skews our attitude with deception. And then... That results in action or disobedience, which is, of course, sin. And then fourth, disobedience leads to death. Verse 15 concludes, and with sin when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Death meaning separation from God. Now that should be no surprise to us. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Death has always been the consequence of for sin. Even back in the Garden of Eden in the passage we read earlier, God said, you must not eat fruit from the tree, you must not touch it or you will die. Now of course Satan tried to deceive Adam and Eve into believing that wasn't true, but it was. And it always has been and it always will be. Disobedience, sin leads to death. Believe me, Satan knows that. And this is his whole agenda, folks. To play on our desires, to deceive us, to get us to disobey God so that we might die. He wants to destroy us. He wants to ruin our relationship with God. He wants to separate us from God now and eternally. So it all begins with desire and that desire leads to deception and deception leads to disobedience and disobedience leads to death. That's the downward spiral. Of temptation. That's how temptation works. And ultimately, we need to understand that we're the ones who are responsible for allowing this downward spiral to take place. We are the ones who can stop this process. We are the only ones who can say no. So the second step in winning against temptation is responsibility. Number three is resistance. Verse 16 warns us don't be deceived. This word deceived is a word that means to be misled, to wander off course. The picture here is that we're walking along the correct path of life and Satan's over here (laughs) and he's going, Psst! Hey! Look at this! Look at this! I got something for you! You don't want to miss this! See, he's trying to distract us. He's trying to detour us off of the correct path 
path. He's, he wants us to get us headed in the wrong direction without us even being aware that we are, have drifted. And when that happens, James tells us exactly what we're to do in James 4 and verse 7. In fact, let's read this one out loud together. Would you read it with me? Submit yourselves then to God. 